Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and my guest today is the founder and CEO of Siler Tucker Incorporated, Michelle Siler Tucker. Michelle holds the M and AMI Mergers and Acquisitions Mastery Mediary, Intermediary Tile title, as well as Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional and Certified Senior Business Analyst. She also owns many other businesses in several different industries, and as a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. She and her firm have sold over a 1,000 businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. Now, Michelle joins your partner in Success Radio today to share several very important things, planning your exit strategy from day one, how to build a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business, the 10 profit, 10 biggest profit mistakes, I think that's an important one, and seller's sanity check and for the buyers as well, too. So, Michelle, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much, Denise. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we had an interesting pre-interview conversation, and I'm really looking forward to having you here today because, you know, business is interesting these days, I guess is the politest way to put it. Things are happening that nobody could have anticipated. You know, do people have exit strategies? Why don't they have one? Should they have them? So many questions. So before I get started, tell people a bit about yourself that I might have missed, and then let's just let you tell people what they need to know about their businesses. Okay. So I don't think you missed too much. Um, I am a mergers acquisitions master intermediary, been in the industry for a little over 20 years. I have personally sold over 500 businesses. My company, along with myself combined, has sold probably a little over 1,000. And um, we work with many different business owners. We are industry agnostic. We specialize in really obtaining a higher price for our sellers and what their business appraises for. On average, we get our clients 20 to 40% more, like I said, than what we appraise the business for. We also specialize in not just selling businesses. We also specialize in buying businesses, selling them, fixing them, and growing them. I learned a long time ago when I got into this industry that what Steve Forbes says is true. 80% of businesses will never sell. Eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. So I learned a long time ago if I don't fix businesses, if I don't grow them and put them on a build-to-sell plan, I'm probably going to starve to death. So we really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing. I partner with business owners, investing my capital, time, resources, energy, expertise. And sometimes I bring on another partner with me that has a different set of skills. And then we'll put those partners on a build-to-sell program as well. So I own different businesses in different verticals that I'm always building to sell myself. Um, and we are, in this, like I said, we're industry agnostic in the businesses I own and the businesses we sell. 
before getting into the mergers and acquisitions industry. I've always been an entrepreneur, always owning different companies. I also specialize in franchise development, franchise consulting, and franchise sales. And then I transitioned, like I said, a little over 20 years ago into M&A. I have to ask you, I'm fascinated by everything that you can do. I don't I think you don't sleep. You probably, your brain is probably too busy for you to really sleep a whole lot. But what got you started in this industry? Because, I mean, you you had a history of already owning businesses and building business, but what got you so passionate about the M&A industry? It was really when I was um, doing franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. I was an equity partner in different franchisors. Uh, companies, and I had several buyers, many buyers would come to me and want to buy an existing business. They didn't want to buy a franchise. And I kept saying, no, 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 I don't have existing businesses. We have startup franchises. And then I just said to myself, you know, why am I saying no? I believe in law of attraction. I should be saying yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And really, as simple as that sounds, that's really what led me to starting my mergers and acquisitions firm is because I had so many buyers asking for existing companies. So they were telling you what you needed and you weren't really paying attention until you did pay attention. Correct. It didn't take me that long. (laughs) I I can't imagine that it did. So, So franchises, I mean, I find those fascinating. I've had a couple of guests that talked about franchising, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know anything about them other than what my guests have taught me. But all of a sudden, I'm like you, you know, I start paying attention to what falls in my lap or, you know, when those arrows start pointing at you like, hello, pay attention. And all of a sudden, franchises are just popping up everywhere. So are you still doing franchises or did you just kind of move from that into something else? Yeah, I'm not really doing too much franchising anymore. Uh, We do work with a lot of franchisors and selling the franchisors company. Gotcha. Um, that you know already have hundreds or thousands of franchises in place. Uh, every now and then, my team will work with a smaller franchisee, but for the for the most part, we're not doing that much consulting development anymore. However, every now and then, you know something falls on my lap, falls in my lap, and it looks like a good opportunity, so I'll take it. <laughs> and um, I'm actually working with a partner now on a concept that already has about 15 locations built up, and they want us to take over the franchise division. Oh, that sounds interesting. Okay, so I don't want to belabor that one too much, although I'm finding the whole franchise industry fascinating because I was aware of it only tangentially. I mean, you go past a a McDonald's, you know it's a franchise. You go past this, that, or the other, you know it's a franchise. They're everywhere but I never paid attention to how they actually operated. And I probably never will do a a franchise. I just find the whole concept fascinating. So here we go. So let's talk, Michelle, about you talk about exit strategy. And I know you've got a book coming up, so we want to talk about that as well. And you said earlier that 80%, I think you said, that businesses won't sell. Is it because they don't have an exit strategy or they just never – found the need for one or knew how to create one? What happened there? So it's it's multitude of reasons. Um, but, yes, first and foremost, most business owners never create an exit strategy. They never think about exiting. 
until they have to due to a catastrophic event occurring, rather that's internal or external. Internal is typically, you know, health issues, partners' disputes, divorce, death. External is this pandemic that we're in right now. And so many businesses are trying to write, you know, sell right now because they're not doing well. The worst time to try to sell your business is during a pandemic because your business is typically trending downward. The best time to sell is when your business is in its prime and trending up. But most business owners don't want to sell in their prime because they want to just keep running the business in the prime and collecting that money, and they don't really think about selling. But I always say what goes up must come down, <laughs> and you really should think about selling your business in its prime. We talk about the STPPS exit model and exit rich, and it's really um, my philosophy that every business owner should start their exit plan, start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says, and start their exit plan from day one of starting or buying their business. So what can people do right now? And listen, restaurants, I, they pop to mind because so many of them have just, they're gone. And I don't know that many of them can even come back. So they couldn't sell, could they, many of them? And isn't, no, they I, could, I have they to can, ask, but you okay, know, I ahead. think that restaurants are might be difficult to sell anyway. It's just a guess. Right. I don't know that for a fact. But what can people do who are just like, we have to close the doors. They can't sell. What can they do? Well, there's a lot of different things that they can do. First and foremost, there's, there's five different types of buyers. So one type is turnaround specialists. There are turnaround specialists that are out there buying distressed assets. They're buying up some of these restaurants. They're buying up some of these selling businesses due to the pandemic, and they're turning them around and selling them for a profit. So you can always reach out to Mergers and Acquisitions Advisor and ask them if they work with turnaround specialists and who they recommend. Um, and just because you, it looks like the business is failing doesn't mean it necessarily has to fail. You know, it depends on why is it failing. Is it failing because you're out of working capital? Well, there's different investor groups, angel investor groups, that are still investing in business, and, and even in failing businesses. Um, and there's also M&A advisors like myself that have other restaurants that are looking to acquire restaurants during this pandemic and merge them with their current brand. So first and foremost, I would reach out to an advisor and see if they can help you before you just close up your business. I never even thought of that. And I have to say, and this is just me going off on a tangent a bit here, but when I think of restaurants, particularly really good restaurants, I live in the deep south. You cannot find a bad restaurant unless you try. I mean, most of them are just outrageously good, which is why we have to be careful how much we eat and when we eat it. That's just an aside there. But when I think of restaurants, I think of the recipes as something that can be very, very valuable. Is that you know, a good thought, or am I just way off base? Well, when you say very, very valuable, what do you mean by very, very valuable? Buyers are not going to pay millions of dollars for a recipe. Yeah, got you. I'm just wondering but if they'll they're... Buy, but they'll buy a business that's an ongoing concern that <sighs> has proprietary assets and operates on the recipes that we'll get into shortly that we talk about in my book, Exit Rich. You know, the recipes add value to the business and you know some buyers might pay a higher multiple but if all you're selling is recipes you're not going to be able to maximize value for that 
Understood. Some recipes down here in particular are, they're very, very good, and people will try to spy on you to get them. So that, I guess that's yeah, what I'm thinking about. I know, I know. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're only yeah, 100 miles from art. Restaurant owners also have to learn how to pivot, and they have to learn how to add congruent revenue streams, you know. There are some restaurants that have done a really great job. Uh, they have their restaurant, but they also have a very big online presence. They sell, you know, they sell recipes. They sell ingredients. The ingredients. They sell special sauces. They sell cookbooks, you know, aprons. I mean, all kinds of different stuff, like Emma Lagasse, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, always, I always think that restaurant owners, I never think that any industry should pull their eggs in one basket. I think... You know, every business owner needs to have congruent revenue streams and have congruent revenue profit centers. Right. When you said Emerald Lagasse, I immediately thought of Chef John Foles. His products are in grocery stores all over the place, so that's one way of kind of moving around. So let's get off of restaurants because I must be hungry. (laughs) I'm thinking (laughs) shrimp right now. But what what are you seeing right now that and, and this is a pandemic. We can't avoid it. The first three weeks of this, over a year ago, I tried to avoid talking about it on my podcast because, you know, three weeks. Now it's something we cannot possibly avoid. So what are you seeing? Is there any industry in particular that is kind of snapping back a bit? Well, you know, it's it's funny that you asked me this question because I just um, was texting back and forth with a large um, CPA and legal firm that we've been doing business with for over 20 20 years, and they specialize in mergers and acquisitions. And they were saying, you know, they are so busy. M&A is huge right now. There are so many closings going on. Uh, They're actually working on about $250 million in deals right now as we speak. So there is, you know, it's, it's really a seller's market. Um, for those businesses that have over a million dollars in EBITDA, EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And there are more buyers for those type of businesses. There are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. So if you can get your business to over a million, two million, three million in EBITDA, and I know that might sound rough for some industries, especially during a pandemic, but that's what a sweet spot is. There's huge activity in M&A right now. M&A advisors are crushing it. Attorneys are extremely busy. Like I said, one law firm is, is working on $250 million in transactions. So we're seeing a tremendous amount of activity. What we're not seeing as much activity is in the smaller businesses like the restaurants and, you know, the retail stores and things of that nature. Those businesses are not doing very well. Obviously, they're struggling because of the pandemic. So what can they do? I mean, I know we need to talk about planning your exit strategy, but if you don't have one, it's not too late, is it? No, it's never too late. Let's let's get into the exit strategy right now because I think that's what the, all the listeners need to hear. Are you ready for it? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Go. All right. So I call this my STGPS exit model. And, again, you know, I recommend that every business owner or entrepreneur starts – this exit model from the beginning. Start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says. And, you know, it's kind of like, Denise, when, when you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what's the first thing you plug in? 
where I need to go, and I have to because I am directionally impaired beyond belief. You plug in your destination. I do. If you don't plug in your destination, you're going to be driving around in circles and in that nowhere. And that's what happens to business owners. Business owners don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. They don't have a destination in mind, so they drive around in circles. They drive up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere and to, unfortunately, end up broke in many cases. So the first thing that a business owner needs to do is determine what their destination is. What is your end game? What is your desired sales price? What do you want to sell your business for? And I always tell my clients, just pick a number. Pick a number. Let's say you want to sell for $10 million. Don't get hung up on the number. You can always increase it or decrease it. But start with the end in mind. So let's say you want to sell your business for $10 million. Now you have a destination. What does a GPS exit model need to know next? It needs to know where you're starting from. What is your current location? In other words, what is your current evaluation? What is your business worth today? Now, Denise, I don't know if you know this, but many business owners, most business owners, have never had their business evaluated. Their business is their most valuable asset, but yet they've never taken the time to get a business evaluation. You know, we go to the doctor once a year to get an annual physical checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. We drive our car to to the dealership, to the the mechanics, to make sure we get an annual tune-up. But we don't get an annual business valuation checkup. That is financial suicide because there are events that increase valuation and there are events that decrease valuation just like this just like COVID does. It's decreasing valuation for a lot of businesses, a lot of industries. Other industries, it's increasing valuation. So you must always know what your business is worth every year and get an annual business valuation checkup. So let's say you want to sell for $10 million. That's your destination. Your current location evaluation is, let's say you're worth $2 million today. The next thing you need to know in a GPS exit model is time frame. When do you want to sell for $10 million? Let's say you want to do that in 10 years. Now you have what I call a start of, of a plan. Now you need to determine who your buyer is going to be. Notice I said buyers and not buyer. Many owners come to me and say, Michelle, I just need you to represent me with this one client, this one buyer who's going to buy my business. And I'm always like, I'll represent you with that one client, but we're going to put the business on the market and bring you more buyers because you never want to put all your eggs in one buyer's basket because the likelihood of that buyer actually closing on the sale of your business is slim to none. A lot of deals will fall apart in due diligence. Plus, you can never maximize value with one buyer. How do you create competition with one buyer? So the five different types of buyers, number one, 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. We're not going to buy a $10 million business, so you can rule them out. Number two is turnaround specialists who buy distressed assets. They don't buy multi-million dollar companies, so you can rule them out. Number three is private equity groups, PEGs. Private equity groups buy based on platforms and based upon add-ons. Platforms, you have to have at least $3 million in EBITDA for them to, e- to even consider you. Now, platform, Denise, is let's say they want to get in food manufacturing and they don't have a current food manufacturing platform. They won't even consider a business less than $3 million in EBITDA. But let's say they're already in food manufacturing and they're looking for add-ons. And so maybe they stumble across a spice company. They will look at companies for less than a million in EBITDA for add-ons. So a private equity group could be a good fit for you. 
Then the fourth type of buyer is strategic slash competitors. Strategic slash competitors typically pay the highest multiple because they are paying for synergies. They buy synergies that will help catapult their business to the next level. So they typically pay the highest multiple. The last type of buyer, the fifth type of buyer, is a sophisticated serial entrepreneur. A sophisticated serial entrepreneur is industry agnostic. They chase EBITDA. So those are the five types of buyers. So then once you determine, okay, well, these three are right for my business, let's reverse engineer our plan and figure out where do our numbers need to land in which to sell for $10 million. So you need to know where do the gross revenues need to be, COGS, cost of goods, most importantly, the EBITDA. To sell for $10 million, you need to have an EBITDA of about at least $2 million or lower no. if you have built these as if you have built the synergistic synergies and proprietary assets and you might get a higher multiple. I have to ask, what is an EBITDA? Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization. Oh my god. So when we look at our clients <laughs> earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization. Oh my goodness. And you know, and when we normalize don't... financials, we would add back the depreciation because it's a non, um, we would add back depreciation, we'd add back interest, we'd add back um, amortization in order to get to the true EBITDA. I'm scribbling like crazy. You ought to see me. Okay. So <laughs> we talked. We talked about valuation, which is where we started this particular segment of the conversation. Where would people who do not have an exit strategy, didn't even know they needed one, or frankly just didn't, couldn't add it to their onerous list of things to do every day, who values your business? Where do you go? Well, there's lots of, there's lots of different companies that value businesses. Um, you really... <laughs> I would suggest not to typically go to your local CPA. I would go to someone who values businesses every day and sells businesses every day because valuation is more of an art rather than a science. And so I would contact a mergers and acquisitions firm. We do hundreds upon hundreds of valuations every year. And like I said, it's more of a, an art rather than a science because when we evaluate a business, we evaluate based upon six different methods. One of the biggest methods that we use is what I call the six P's. We talk about the six P's in my book, Exit Rich. And buyers buy synergies. So we really work with, with um, the business owners when we're doing evaluations to identify what those synergies are and identify what buyers would be willing to pay more money for those synergies. That's really how we're able to get our clients 20 to 40% more you know, one deal that we did, we got our client 126% more than the appraised value of the business. So we know the buyers. We know what synergies are willing to pay more money for. Plus, we know what buyers can take advantage of economies of scale. Plus, a lot of buyers who are acquiring, you know, competitive or strategic companies, they already have infrastructures in place. So a lot of times these buyers are able to decrease overhead, EBITDA, from day one of buying the business. So we're not just evaluating the business on the numbers. We're taking into consideration the six P's and all the proprietary assets. 
when we this come up with a value. This is fascinating. I'm just seriously, I'm, I don't know anything about this. This is all brand new to me, largely. And I'm finding it absolutely fascinating. You talk a lot about synergies. Do you have any examples you can share what people are you know, looking for in terms of synergies? Sure. That Let me take you through the six Ps, because the six Ps is going to explain synergies. Good? Great. Okay. One thing I, I want to wrap up, though, on the exit model, because we did not really wrap that up. Um, on the GPS exit model, when you find out, you know, you got to know where your numbers are, right? Where does your growth need to be? Most importantly, where does your EBITDA need to be? Then you also need to know those three types of buyers, the PAGs, the competitors, strategic, serial entrepreneurs, what are they looking for? What synergies are they willing to pay top dollar for? That's where the six Ps come in that we help our clients build their business to run on all six cylinders. There's one more component in the GPS exit model. And the last component is, what is your why? What is your why? Why do you want to sell a business for $10 million? Denise, if it was easy to sell a business for $10 million, everyone would be doing it. So you have to have a powerful, strong enough motivator to keep you in the game, to keep you strong, to keep you weathering all the financial storms that will come your way. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And there are so many reasons. You've mentioned a few of them. You know, death, we're all going to die. Divorce, health issues, sometimes you just want out for whatever reasons. You built it, you're done with it, now you want to go do something different. So perfectly understandable. Okay, so now we'll take you into the synergies. So we we work with our clients to get their business to operate on all six cylinders, all six Bs. If they're operating on all six cylinders, they're going to be extremely profitable, sustainable, scalable, and sellable. Um, and we talked about why 80% of businesses don't sell. The number one reason is business owners don't plan their exit, and they don't build a business to the buyer-specific criteria. They don't build a business that buyers want to buy. So number one P is people. People is huge. Denise, you don't build a business. You build people, and people build a business. And the issue with a lot of entrepreneurs is they have created a glorified job in which to go to work every day versus a business that actually works for them. And their business is not sellable because the business is 1,000% dependent upon them. If we take the owner out of this business, there is nothing. I had a dentist that came to me. He's been in business for 50 years, has three dental hygienists. He said, Michelle, I want to sell. And I said, do you have any dentists? He said, no, it's just me. I said, I can sell your business, but you'll have to stay on for two to three years. He said, I'm not staying on, and the three dental hygienists are my daughters. And we're all leaving. And I said, well, when you leave, the patients leave, so you have nothing to sell. So the number one P is people. Entrepreneurs need to focus on their strengths, hire their weaknesses. You need to Put the right people in the right seats, and you need to ask the who question. Who opens the doors? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, logistics, quality control? The clue here, Denise, is you should never be next to the who because you want to build a business that runs without you. And if you're going to try to sell your business for millions, you have to have a layer of management. And the business owner needs to learn to work on the business, not in the business. Make sense? That's the first P, people. 
it's a toughie for many of us. I do the same thing. I'm constantly seeing it is get a out of it. You let it your is team a do a lot of this. It's it's difficult because we're so proud of it. We built it. It's ours. It's our baby. I know, but That's here's the deal. <laughs> here's the thing, Denise. I'm I, I am on a mission, Denise, to change the mindset of business owners, entrepreneurs, because your business is not your baby. We got to change oh. the mindset. Your babies, oh, you know, many of us cry. have babies. Our babies are at home. Go home, kiss your babies, hug your babies, love your babies, treat your business as a valuable asset that it is. Okay. <laughs> treat your business as a valuable asset that it is. And the bottom line is <laughs> you will never grow unless you let go of the control. That I do know. It's hard to do. It really is. So those it is of you hard to do, but in order to have in order to build your nest your nest egg, your retirement fund, grow your legacy, you have to hire people. You have to build your team. And you know, somebody actually just sent me a note and said, But I can't afford to hire anybody else. I can barely pay myself. What do you do? Yeah. So let me explain. There's there's different ways to get around that. Um, you might not be able to afford a W-2. You might be able to start off just um, with a 1099 part-time. There's also colleges all around us. And many of these colleges require their students to do an internship. I am in the middle of four major colleges, Tulane, Loyola, uh, UNO, um, LSU, and Southeastern Five. And there's more than that. But we have a wait list of interns that want to come in and, and work with us. So go, you know, call your local college, meet with them, uh, see how you can get on their bulletin board, see how you can get on their internship program. They all have internship programs. And um, these students love to learn because they're not learning in school. They're learning when they do hands-on, right? Mm-hmm. And all of my interns, and we've had hundreds of interns, will always say, I learned more at Solar Taco than I ever learned getting my MBA. So well, that makes hands-on sense. experience. Right, they're actually doing the work. When I went right. back to college to get my computer science degree, I figured out pretty, pretty quickly that I needed to break things and rebuild them for me to learn. You know, I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to listen. Right. I wanted to get into that code and bust the heck out of it and then go, Let's Ooh. get that hands-on. That's and right. And put it back So together. here's the bottom line. You can't afford not to hire somebody. If you don't have an assist, if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. And you really right. have to figure out what is your time worth per hour, you know. And I always tell entrepreneurs and especially women entrepreneurs because women entrepreneurs we get saddled with so much responsibility right because it's not just our business it's our home life it's our kids it's our husband you know we get our, it's the schools that we have to participate in we get saddled with a lot of responsibilities i always tell entrepreneurs keep a diary for a month write down everything you do from the minute you get up to brush your teeth everything to the minute you go to bed and do that for a month. And then create three categories, three buckets. Bucket A, bucket B, and bucket C. Bucket A are those core competencies, those tasks that only you can do. Nobody else can do it. You're the best at it. 
These are your core competencies, your USP, unique selling proposition. So for me, I'm a writer. I've tried hiring a ghostwriter, and they're terrible. So I know only I can write my books. That is one of my core competencies. Only I can run my podcast, Exit Rich. That's my core competency. Those are your A category. That's your A category, that things only you can do. And then your B category are those things that you do really, really well, Denise, but you can delegate. For me, I can do evaluations. I can write sims. I can do all of this stuff, but I, but I delegate that to my analyst team because it's very tedious. It takes a tremendous amount of time and energy. What we're talking about right now is not time management. We're talking about energy management. So this is your B list, things that you do really, really well, but you should delegate. Your C list are those things that are energy zappers. They zap the energy right out of you. And those can be things like mowing your lawn, running errands, cleaning your house, going to the grocery store, you know, going to the dry cleaners. Those C-level activities are activities you should never do. And then you need to figure out what are you worth per hour? You know, if you're worth $50 an hour, then that $50 an hour needs to be spent on your a, in your A bucket, in your A core competencies, and hire somebody for $10, $11, $12 an hour to do the other stuff for $15 an hour. Does that make sense? Oh, that oh, yes, and I do exactly what you're talking about. Look, we both live in the Deep South. You're in New Orleans. I'm in Lafayette. We have basically two seasons for the audience, hot and hotter than hell, and both of those seasons have the mud season mixed into them. I don't mow lawns. I tried it once. I threw up and passed out. I don't mow grass. I hire people. It's too stinking yeah. hot for me. So, yeah, I can well, that makes sense I do, do that. A, B, and C, right? Exactly. Yes, it does. <laughs> it really does. So, and I don't want to interrupt your flow because you're – you're on a roll here. So is there anything we need to wrap up with that and then move on? No, let's move on to the second P, which is product. Okay, great. So let me give you a little insight about about this P. When I wrote my very first book in 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, I did the research and learned that 95% of all startups would fail between one to five years. Startups would go out of business. That's common knowledge. We all know that. But when I wrote... Exit Rich with Sharon Lecter in 2019 and 2020, I did the exact same research. And I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business, only 30%. So this is a great time to start businesses. However, out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70, 70, 70% of those companies are at great risk of going out of business. You hear about the big public companies every day. Toys R Us in business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmark, Pier 1. GNC is closing down 900 locations. Godiva is closing down 1,500 stores. But what the media doesn't tell us about, all the private companies on in every street, in every street corner, in every town, in every state across our great nation, these companies are exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. And 
The number one reason for that, Denise, is because business owners stop doing what I call AIM, A-I-M. AIM is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. You're either growing or dying. So the reason I wanted to give you some of this history is because it it transitions really well into the second P, which is product. Product is your product, your industry, your service. You need to ask yourself, is my industry product on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or is it dying? Do I have an Amazon and I'm in my prime and I should be selling? Or do I have a blockbuster I'm about to go bust? And unfortunately, there's a lot of industries about to go bust. And I always tell my clients, you need to ask yourself three transformational questions because this will help you to pivot. Amazon did this back in the 90s. They asked themselves, number one, what business are we in? And all of your listeners should be asking themselves that question right now. What business are we in? And Amazon said, we're in a book selling business. business. We fulfill book orders. The second question is, what do we do really, really well? What is our core competency? What do we do better than everybody else? And your business owners need to really be able to identify that, Denise. And Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than anyone else. Greater fulfillment. Then the third question, the third obvious question is, what business should we be in? What business should we be in? And Amazon said, we should be in a fulfillment business. We shouldn't just be fulfilling book orders. We should be fulfilling products for everyone around the world. Those three simple transformational questions is what transformed Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So product, you must always innovate and market and ask yourself those three questions. Does that make sense? It does. And when you were talking about, you know, what, and I was with Amazon when they were books because I'm a, I love books. But when you started to talk about it, I knew that the next thing that you were going to say was fulfillment. I knew it. I could hear it. Awesome. <laughs> so that's, that's product. And like I said, the number one reason that businesses go out of business is because of lack of aim, lack of innovation and marketing. And in your product, you should never have one profit center like we talked about restaurants earlier. You want to have multiple congruent revenue streams in your business. The next P, if you're ready for the next one, mm-hmm. is processes. Processes. Processes are extremely important. They can make or break a company. And processes are kind of like exit strategies. Business owners don't think about processes until something negative has happened in their company. And then they're like, oh, I need a process for that. Processes is where most business owners get this wrong. A lot of times processes, a lot of times business owners will design processes around their own agenda. Let me give you an, an example. Chiropractors, and I'm not picking on chiropractors, but chiropractors. They'll schedule their hours around, around their agenda. Many chiropractors will say, I'm open Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9 to 12, then close from 12 to 3, open from 3 to 5. Tuesdays were open from 9 to 1, Tuesdays and Thursdays 9 to 1. Now, are those hours designed around the customer experience or are they designed around the owner's agenda? Somebody wants to go golf. Exactly. So here's the bottom line on processes. You must 
design your processes around your customer experience in which to create raving fans. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder based upon the McDonald's Brothers? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, it's a great movie that I recommend all of your listeners to watch. It's called The Founders, based upon the McDonald's story. So back in the 50s, the McDonald Brothers wanted to invent a fast food restaurant, a fast food system. And so they said, we want to design it around the customer experience. We want our customers to experience great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. So they designed processes around this experience. It's why you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and still gain the exact same experience because of their processes. It's also a reason why they can get rid of an employee and replace an employee within 30 minutes and have that employee running the front counter because they have their processes. You want to design your processes around your customer experience, so you need to take a few minutes and figure out what do you want your customers to experience. If you're not creating wow experiences for your clients, then your competitors will be happy to do it for you. You want to create raving fans. Have you ever noticed, Denise, that when you've had a problem with a bank or social media company or retail company and you go to call them and you have to push like five different numbers on the phone to get a live person, and then you tell that person your story and they transfer you to somebody else, he transfers you to somebody else, he transfers you to somebody else. I went through that and yesterday Abby with J.C. Penney's. Honestly, if they actually record those calls, they heard a whole mouthful from me. And so is their process, are their processes designed around your customer experience? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm, I'm thinking of my company, and to some degree, yes, but not to the degree I think you're sharing. So J.C.'s Penney's processes are not designed to create raving fans because were you a fan yesterday? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so this is, where most business owners no. Get, this is where most business owners get this wrong. They are not designing their processes around the customer experience. They're designing the processes around their agenda. Rather that's a solo entrepreneur, rather that's a company with a board, you got to take several steps backwards and figure out what you want that customer experience to be. Then design your processes around that customer experience to create raving fans. Your processes must be productive, efficient, and well documented. So many business owners don't have policy and procedure manuals. You need policy and procedure manuals. SOP, Standard Operating Procedure Checklist, Employment Handbooks, Agreements, Non-Compete. Your company needs to be well-papered. McDonald's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, they all have systematic approach. They all have processes designed around the customer experience. So business owners need to design their processes around their customer experience, not their own agenda. That's processes. And processes, if they're not efficient or productive, they will cost you a lot of money. Go ahead. No, I agree with you. I've seen that happen with some companies that I work with in in terms of their social media and just different things. And I'll watch them make boo-boos, and I need to not do that. So, yeah, I, I understand. So the next one, we've got about 16 minutes, and I've 
don't want to cut you loose before you know we get through all of the the six P's. So, okay. are we ready to go to number four? We 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 are. The fourth one's going to take a little while. The last two are extremely quick. So, okay. This fourth P is the most valuable of all the P's. This is called proprietary. There are six pillars to proprietary. Let me give you a quick lesson on evaluations. If there's a business with under a million dollars in EBITDA, the multiple times the EBITDA is typically going to be anywhere from one, one and a half to to three and a half to four. In order to get to four, you have to have a lot of proprietary assets. If you have an EBITDA of over a million, then your multiple is probably going to be four or five and up depending upon your proprietary assets. So proprietary is the number one value driver. There are six pillars here, so I have to explain all six. Number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? No. 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 (laughs) The most valuable brand in the world, do you know? The most valuable brand in the world is? I'm going to go with Amazon. Apple. 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 Well, I had an A. You had an A, so I'm going to give you an A. I'm going to give you an A, Denise. So Apple is the most valuable brand worth over $359 billion. That's just a brand. That's not assets, inventory, real estate, accounts receivables, cash flow. That's just a brand. So build your brand, build your exit. Second to proprietary is trademarks. Trademark of your company name, your slogan, your logos, your unique core competencies. We trademark the STGPS exit model, the ST6Ps. Trademark your podcast. Here's the mistake that a lot of business owners make, is they will go out and get a state trademark. They'll go to GoDaddy. They have a name in in mind. They'll go to GoDaddy. They'll get the domain, the .com, and then they'll go to their state. Let's say they're in the state of Louisiana. They'll go to their state and get a, a Louisiana trademark. But Denise, they never take it one step further and check the federal database to make sure that that company name is available. Just because you get the domain and just because you get the state trademark doesn't mean the federal trademark is available. So I've seen business owners in business for 5, 10, 15 years all of a sudden receive a and desist letter, and they have to stop using that company name. So you want to make oh, sure you're protecting, you're protecting your IP. Also, products. You know, um, you, mentioned, you mentioned recipes earlier, Denise. So I have a client that, that sells seasoning, and they have several different SKUs. And they have a federal trademark for each one of those of that product name. I have another company that has 12 products, and each product is exclusive to each retail chain. They have one in Walmart, one in Target, one in Whole Foods, and they have federal trademarks for that. Strategics and competitors will pay more money for that, so protect your IP. Patents are huge. If you've ever watched Shark Tank, what does every single investor always ask? Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah. watch TV. Oh, well, they ask. You have a patent on that. You have a patent pending. You know, and the offer is always contingent upon a patent. So get a patent and protect your IP. Contracts are very valuable. Manufacturing contracts, vendor distribution, franchisor that has franchisees. Client contracts are the most valuable of all, especially if they have a subscription model with reoccurring revenue. Here's the caveat to contracts. Every single business owner I've ever met over the last 20 years has never done this. 
you must have the transferability clause in your contract that says this contract is transferable, transfer, transferable to the new entity because 98% of all sales are stock sales. I mean, I'm sorry, asset sales, not stock sales. So if your buyer doesn't agree to do a stock sale, then your deal could fall apart. If your buyers don't agree to consent the transfer, your deal could fall apart. So make sure you include the two-sentence transferability clause. Databases. If you have a database and you're and it's current and you're nurturing that database and it can be retargeted and repurposed, it's worth a lot of money to a strategic. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. But they had a billion users. They had a synergy that Facebook knew they could all rely and monetize. And what we're talking about right now are these synergies. And then celebrity endorsements. We're working with a client that has their products on Oprah's favorite things. A strategic will pay more money for that because they want to get their products in front of Oprah's favorite things. And celebrities can only endorse one vertical at a time. Same thing with radio personalities. You know, Cindy Crawford only endorses Rooms to Go. You will never see her on any other furniture company. And then e-commerce. We sell a lot of e-commerce businesses. Anytime you can get those top three positions on Amazon, Etsy, Wayfair, eBay, strategists will pay a much higher multiple for that. So these are the synergies in your business that will drive value. So the next P, the fifth P is Patreons. This is your client base. Most business most businesses follow the 80-20 rule, where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients, and they have client concentration. We once sold a, were selling a business that had only five clients, Denise, and we were selling between 10 to 15 million. The reason they only have five clients is because they cater to casinos. Oh. During the process, During the process. they lost two of their five clients. The revenues and EBITDA dropped in half. They weren't sellable anymore. We ended up having to merge them with another media company. So you want to make sure you have customer diversification. If you've been in business for your, for decades, you want to make sure that your products, your innovating and marketing, and attracting the, the younger generation because your customer base could be aging out. The last P is profits. The most important P to all of us is profits. Everyone's in business to make to make money. But here's the bottom line. Lack of profits is never the problem. Lack of profits is never the problem. It's the symptom of not running on one of the other five Ps. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. Or no, you have a process problem. If you are running on all five cylinders, all five Ps, you will be extremely profitable. How often does this happen, though? I mean, how, how often, often does somebody that they're running on all five P's and you go, woohoo, we got the big one? Harley, Harley, Harley never. Harley, Harley never. <laughs> that was my guess. <laughs> I mean, I got a company we're selling in the 50 to $70 million range right now, and they're running on five of the six P's. They have customer concentration, they have 65% of the revenue with one client. So, how do you help so them? You, well, we're helping them to diversify, um, and they can get more clients. That's not the issue. The issue is can they get more product to supply their largest client and supply new clients. Gotcha. So we're working, we're working with them on helping them fix their supply chain issue. 
This is fascinating. Do you sleep? I have to ask. Yes, but it's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I wake up in the middle of the night going, oh, my gosh, we forgot this, or that didn't happen, or that we got to do this. I'll wake up, and I keep my um, phone next to me, which is probably not a good idea, and then I go to my note section and type up all the things I just thought about that need to be done. I have problems sleeping as well. I can't nap. I sleep a couple of hours and I get up. And I've been known to, you know, race to my office, and which is in my home, thank goodness. But running across the house naked when a house with a lot of windows, not a smart idea. I've done it. And Or, you know, I make tacos at 3 in the morning. Who knows? You know, my brain doesn't shut down. It sounds like yours doesn't either. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I love entrepreneurship. Can you tell? <laughs> I can, and I love your passion for it. So we've talked about, now, and I know you've got this book coming up, and we've been talking a bit about it. So let's go into that a bit. Is the book, it's coming out in June, isn't it? Yes, but, but your, your listeners can buy the book today. So let's oh. talk about the book. Um, so first of all, Exit Rich was endorsed by Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes says Exit Rich is a go mine for entrepreneurs as they leave way too much money on the table when they go to exit their business. Sharon Lecter is my co-author who wrote Rich Jeff Hordai with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a five times New York Times bestselling author. Plus, she's a CPA, financial literacy expert, and the advisor to many different presidents. So she and writes she's been my guest corner. here. Yeah, she's been my guest. I'm, when I told you you'd be in great company, I meant it. <laughs> well, she writes the Mentor's Corner after every chapter in Exit Rich, and it's also um, beneficial because her husband is an intellectual property attorney, so we get input from him as well in Exit Rich. And then the foreword was written by the original Shark on Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington, plus we have endorsements from Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup of the Soul, Mark Victor Hansen, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, Brad Sugar, Sewell's Action Coach, and more. Um, so... Your listeners don't have to wait till June to, to read Exit Rich. They can go to ExitRichBook.com for $24.79, which is less than Amazon. We will email them the digital download immediately, ship their hardcover to their doorstep to anyone that lives in the United States for no additional shipping. Plus, we will give them a lifetime membership to Exit Rich Book Club. There we have video content of me doing deep dives into some of these different strategies and techniques I've been practicing in the trenches for the last 20 years, plus documents, documents to operate your business and documents to serve your business. We have documents such as employee handbooks, non-competes, org charts, SOP, checklist, to sell your business, sample letters of intent, purchase agreements, due diligence, checklist, and closing docs. All these documents are there for you to review and download. They will cost you over $30,000 if you went to your attorney to recreate, probably even more than that. And we're also giving you a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs. Club CEOs is a mastermind where we have hot seats, Q&As, and we ask those transformational questions to get business owners unstuck so they can grow a sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable business. All of that, Denise, for $24.79 at ExitRichBook.com. I just wrote it down, and I will be on my way with my debit card as soon as we're done here. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually think, I'm not positive, I'd have to go back to my notes, but I think your PR company is sending me the book anyway, but I want this. So, um, I mean, send me the book. I'd love to have it, but 
I'm also going to do this. So what question here, because we've got about four minutes, what got you and Sharon to build this book, to build this, and I'm going to call it synergy because there's so much that you just share. What got you going, we need to do this. We need to help people. Well, I, I knew that I was going to write an updated book from Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth that I wrote in 2013 because I knew that the business landscape had changed so much. And, you know, small business is the backbone of our economy. There's 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. As small business dies, our economy dies because when you get rid of small business, then we lose jobs. When we lose jobs, we lose spending power. You lose spending power, more small businesses close. So I'm extremely passionate, and it's my mission to help save as many small business owners as I possibly can from going out of business and help as many business owners that I can to retire rich. So I'd already started uh, writing the book. I sent Sharon Lecter the manuscript. Sharon and I have spoke on several stages together and have known each other through the years. And I um, asked her to be a part of it, and she read the manuscript and said, I love it. Of course, I'll be a part of it. And I'm excited for both of you. I mean, small businesses, I think this is just me thinking out loud, but I think too many people don't understand just how important small business is to America, you know, to how we operate, to how we buy, how we sell, how we support right. one another. Yes, great, you know, big businesses, we all know who they are. We all know who's being, you know, cancel cultured right now, which we're not going to talk about that. But small businesses, to me, are the heart of America. It is. And it sounds it's the backbone of our me, economy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like you're fully aware of that and you're willing to share why it's important and how to help other people and how to help your own business. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I also wanted to give out my website, SylarTucker.com. And I am right here in New Orleans. My number is 504-525-1717. We're practically neighbors. We are. We're, what, 100 miles away from each other? We just go down I-10. We're going to wind up there. So one more time, where can people find you? Give us the the exit book. Sure. Got nine so exit rich. So um, you can go buy the book at exitrichbook.com. Exitrichbook.com. You can reach out to me at SilerTucker.com. That's S-E-I-L-E-R Tucker.com. And our phone number right here in New Orleans, Louisiana, 504-525-1717. Michelle, thank you so much. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I hope Thank I didn't you, interrupt. Oh, my pleasure. I hope I didn't interrupt too much. I think we had a bit of a delay, and all of a sudden I go, "Oops, I'm talking over her." So I apologize for that. But it has been absolutely wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of the tip- terrific tips and the advice that you shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Amazon Prime. We've been talking about Amazon. I'm in Audible. And honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcast, just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Michelle, thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.